Chapter 4, A Prototype The sleeping pod swung wildly as Leah groped for her glasses, which were hiding under a pile of books that had become inextricably tangled with a the thermal undergarment. She found them, wiped the lenses on her pyjamas and the world came into focus. It was still dark and the morning traffic had only just begun to rattle the windows. Seven o'clock, she reckoned, with a clear hour to use the bathroom in the cafe downstairs. She had misjudged it more than once, stumbling past tables of breakfasting customers in slippers, toothbrush in hand. The design of the pod was inspired by the nesting habits of the weaver bird, a covered hammock that offered insulation from draughts and an illusory sense of safety from the outside world. In the mornings she found it hard to leave. She climbed out of the pod, one long leg cautiously followed by another, feeling like a spider emerging from its egg sac. The room was extremely cold, its industrial nature uncompromised by any kind of comfort. Leah unrolled her yoga mat and began to salute the sun, whose queasy appearance seemed in need of encouragement. She wondered, briefly, if last night's visitation had been a dream, but there were traces of wasabi on the plates, and Ethan Blake's package lay unopened on the drafting table. She focused her mind on her breath and moved through the familiar sequence until the sun made it over the rooftops. Then, hearing activity below, she went down to the cafe to scrounge a flat white and a croissant. It was one of the perks. Pulling a third jumper over her existing layers, Leah inspected the package. It was the same size, shape and weight as the case where she kept her glasses. A prototype. She unwrapped damp paper, then bubble wrap, and opened a hard plastic case. The gift was, as it had appeared to be, a pair of spectacles. This, she thought, was of no particular use to a woman who couldn't see across the room without prescription lenses. She inspected the glasses for hidden technology, some kind of communication device concealed in the frames. None was apparent. The frames were thick, unbranded, and of a style that she knew from experience would redress the imbalances of her face. Catwalk. With a touch of gravitas, she took off her own glasses, which suddenly seemed a little frumpy, and tried the new ones on, expecting a blur. The room was in perfect focus. She blinked. It was still good. She wondered where he had found her prescription. Leah looked around the room. The glasses were not any good. They were far, far better than any that she had ever worn, and the room was not nearly as clean as she had imagined. The window panes were smeared, grime caked at the edges of the frames, dust bowls in the corner of the room and cobwebs hanging from the girders. She glanced down at the papers strewn across the table and the glasses made some miraculous adjustment. She could read the small print. Bloody hell, thought Leah. It's like it's wired into my brain or something. There was something invasive about the way that the glasses focused so precisely on whatever she looked at. Leah felt a sudden urge to remove them, but the lure of preternatural eyesight was too strong. She could see more clearly now than she had ever done before. Then she spotted something unfamiliar by the skirting board, a small spiky ball that looked like a rolled-up hedgehog. 
She went a little closer. Impossible, but there it was. The hedgehog's flanks moved with its breath. Fascinated, Leah sat down on the floor beside it. The ball of spikes twitched, and a long black nose appeared, followed by a pink flicker of tongue. The hedgehog opened its eyes and blinked, kicking its small pink feet from the canopy of spines, like someone climbing out of a sleeping bag. The hedgehog was not a cartoon. It was a three-dimensional hedgehog, right down to its whiskers. Leah took off the glasses and rubbed her eyes. The hedgehog disappeared. She put them on again. Wary of prickles, she reached out her hand. It passed through the hedgehog, as though it was not there, which she thought it technically wasn't. The hedgehog clambered to its feet and began to snuffle around the area below her sink, bumping myopically into the bucket. It seemed to know not to pass through furniture. She considered pouring it a saucer of milk. Then she remembered that she didn't have any milk. Then she remembered that milk is bad for hedgehogs and that it was better to give them meat. Then she remembered that this particular hedgehog wasn't alive in any recognisable sense and probably didn't eat anything. Leah rocked back on her heels and pondered the nature of reality, the diet of hedgehogs in a post-slug world, and how Ethan Blake had possibly imagined that this virtual creature could help them keep in touch. The hedgehog, meanwhile, curled up in a corner and went to sleep. If she leaned close to it, she could hear tiny snores. Feeling herself in need of technical assistance, Leah put the glasses back in their case and went downstairs to fetch her bicycle. The homeless boy was still on the Hapney Bridge. Back in the prosperity, he had gone to private school. Now there were sores around the edge of his mouth. As she wheeled her bicycle over the bridge, Leah dropped a granola bar into his cup. Morning, Gary. So you had a visitor last night, said Gary, without looking up from his book. He dropped something on the bridge. Leah held out her hand. Gary grinned, handing her a slim leather pocketbook. Charitable donation. I didn't touch the cards. The credit cards were in the name of Ethan Blake. Thinking that it would have been easier to get it back to him if he'd left a phone number instead of a hedgehog, Leah slipped it into her backpack. She glanced down at Gary, who had gone back to his book. Let me know when you finish that. No amount of exposure to the hardship had been able to break Gary's reading habit. This one was Steinbeck, from the library section of the bookshop, but he wasn't particular. When Gary didn't have a book, he panicked. When he did, he slept with it under his pillow in a Ziploc bag. Leah looked down the river towards the sea. The city clustered chaotically around it, filling her with tenderness. I love the bones of you, she said softly. Your buildings and your stories and your streets. The city listened to her and the river ran with the tide. Then she waited for the pedestrian lights at the foot of the bridge and pedalled off in the direction of the South Circular Road. Mm -hmm.